Hello and welcome to the ALC Pan-African Radio's Talking Africa program. Talking Africa provides in-depth interviews with experts and other actors in the field of peace and security in Africa. Hello, I'm Desmond Davis. My guest today is Medani Tadesi, a visiting professor at King's College University and former security sector reform advisor to the African Union. Uh, Medani, being a veteran uh, political analyst, analyst of uh, African affairs, what do you make of those changes in South Africa, in Zimbabwe, and Ethiopia? Well, I think, uh, well, it's uh, difficult to define them as changes, but you see, you know, a very protracted and difficult transitions uh, in, in all those countries. And uh, the reason being that liberation movements in power are not designed for transitions. Uh, there are a lot of historical baggages involved in their rise and development. Uh, one of the things is that there is always a sense of in, sense of entitlement to, to rule indefinitely. You know, uh, there are different variants of liberation movements in, in power in Africa, but uh, except for the SNM in Somaliland, no liberation movement handed over power to another entity. Mm -hmm. So the crisis is the crisis of transition, and when they overstay their welcome, liberation movements lose their political acumen and the political party became captured by special interests, mainly the military and security nexus. So they perpetuate themselves. So go to Zimbabwe, Ethiopia is another example, the NC is another example. There is not only a sense of entitlement, but there is high regimentation and a sense of secrecy. And uh, they politicize state institutions to stay indefinitely. So that becomes really a stumbling block for reform and transition yes. in Africa. Yes, but in these three countries, Ethiopia, uh, South Africa, and uh, Zimbabwe, the, the, the removal of these uh, presidents came as a surprise, don't you think? Because, I mean, no one was expecting something like that to happen in South but Africa. But they were removed not because of the urgency to reform or democratic change. They were removed because of a competition and a rivalry in who controls the political economy. Mm -hmm. Take Zimbabwe. Yes. I mean, the Zimbabwean military began to involve in the political economy of Zimbabwe in construction, services, smuggling, you know, you know, minerals. Not only in Zimbabwe, even in the DRC. In the DRC you know. Yes, yes. So once they became established in terms of the economy, their special interests. They don't want an unknown quantity to come to power which could threaten their interests. So they were not against Mugabe. They were not for democratic change. They were not for regime change. They were for protecting their interests. To themselves the same happens within the ANC uh, because of the scandal, because of you know, the bankruptcy in, in, in foreign relations, because of uh, you know, what you call as the state capture. The NC was threatened by the public and pressure groups, like even the, the Economic Freedom Front, that they might lose the next elections. Mm -hmm. So in order for themselves to stay in power, they had to make that arrangement. The same happened in Ethiopia. There has been protests and, and, and the, the resignation of uh, you know, uh, the Prime Minister 
doesn't show a change of policy or a change of heart. So I think we have to differentiate both. Yeah, but these protests were also taking place under Meles when he was in power. Well, how come he withstood uh, that sort of situation? Well, the, the difference between Meles being in charge of the EPRDF, the ruling party, and, and Haile Mariam is, 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 is startlingly clear. One is the issue of leadership. Meles had both expertive leadership and coercive leadership. You know, if you look at the you know leadership theories, mm -hmm. he was the one, the only one who theorizes. He was the only one who generates knowledge. Mm -hmm. So that gives him some legitimacy, some popularity within the party, right? Then he had also firm control over 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 military and security institutions, which means that. Meles had also coercive power, mm -hmm. including expertise power. Nobody claimed to have the same after him. So what happened is that lack of leadership, lack of strategic thinking, lack of mobilization by a preeminent leader led to rivalry and splits within, within mm -hmm. the APRDF. And so the way they tried to handle uh, the protesters uh, and the crisis in Ethiopia is totally different. So the, the environment has completely changed. The leadership environment in Ethiopia, the political environment in Ethiopia, uh, and the security environment. Mm -hmm. So that's how you, know, uh, you see now the APRDF struggling to deal with this multi-pronged you know, protest. Yeah, well. but in Zimbabwe, let's face it, I mean, I think Mr. Mugabe is right. It was on. It was an unconstitutional uh, removal of power. You know, it, it wasn't according to the constitution. So the OE should have sanctioned uh, the, the the military guys who took over in Zimbabwe. Uh, well, you can claim <laughs> that, but speaking, yes. yeah, of course. But the AU has lost its normative and and, and values and principles yes. that and the norms that really uh, governed. You know. What about uh, Al Sisi? Yes, exactly. In, in, Egypt. Yes, in Egypt. So, I mean, when the AU involves, it involves in countries where there is no consolidated regime. They might involve in in CAR or South Sudan or Somalia, but in in countries where the regime is highly consolidated, I I don't think the AU can can try to take the risk. So Zimbabwe is one of them, yes, and yes. and even even Ethiopia is the same. Egypt is the same. Uh, God forbid if some coup happens in some of the other major countries like Algeria and, and Nigeria or for South Africa for that matter, I don't, uh, I don't think they would have you know, the necessary political clout and energy to, to involve and criticize. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a good point you've made because uh, they, they'll pick on weak countries like they did in the Gambia when the threat, well, it was ECOWAS, but at least mm -hmm got the support of the AU to threaten to move in to get him out of power. But so, I mean, it depends on how powerful the country is. Yeah, of course, of yeah. course. Yeah, because when you, when you look at the subsidiarity, principally in Africa, mm -hmm. you have the AU, you have regional organizations, and the whole issue of, you know, regional solutions to regional problems is based on the orbit of some anchor, you know, countries. And these countries are the basis for for any kind of you know implementation of the APSA in in Africa. So any involvement in a neighboring country can 
only be triggered by a major neighbor, mm -hmm. like in Somalia by Ethiopia or, or Rwanda, even some of the countries that have bigger voice and big microphone mm -hmm. at the African Union are not criticized even for intervening in the affairs of uh, their neighbors, like uh, the DRC, yes. take uh, Uganda, take, uh, take uh, Rwanda, take uh, Tanzania and South Africa in, in, in Burundi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Necessarily, they are not promoting democracy. They are promoting their own narrow and partisan interests. And yet, uh, they are not criticized or blamed for it. So, obviously, it's a matter of who controls the regional distribution of power, you know, in that respect. But, but what about uh, Angola, where Dos Santos stepped down? I mean, was it just normal, or he, he was forced in the background? I, I think he miscalculated. Yeah. He thought that he can rule behind, uh, you yes. know, the cartel, yes. like, like the Chinese, Jordan, by creating yes. some commissions, but it was undercut mm. by fast, you know, uh, political development in, 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 in Angola. So I think that's a different matter. Uh, but the rest are liberation movements in power. And the main characteristic features that I have but mentioned. The, and Angola yeah. too is still a liberation movement. In power yeah, but NPR. it was not the part of the second liberation. You know? mm -hmm. It's just the initial you know, uh, liberation. And there has never been any militarization in the post-liberation period, apart from the fact that the other rebel movements succumbed and, and were decimated. So the Angolan example is not the, exactly like the Zimbabwean yes, or, or yeah, South African yeah. or Ethiopian yeah. or Ugandan and Rwandan. Yeah. But what signs uh, are the, these actions given to other African countries? Because there are leaders who want to manipulate things, continue to stay in power. So, I mean, is, is this a bad precedent to what? It is, but it's also. It's not a total kind of victory for them, in the sense that in Africa you see two parallel developments. On the one hand, you have former liberation movements in power who want to remain in power indefinitely, uh, who block and check uh, the process of democratization. And because of that, or despite that, there is a political economy of marginalization all over Africa, mainly in, this, in, this, in these countries. Uh, on the other hand, you have you know, a very uh, critical development in terms of authoritarian drift, mm -hmm. also in other countries, where you have long-termism, short-termism, you know, all that. But parallel to that, you have mass protests and mobilization, and they cannot control that. So the clash will be between the two. Mm. On the one hand, you have the authoritarian drift in Africa. You can take it even, even to, to Kenya, for that matter. On the other hand, you have you know, uh, angry population, angry youth, you know, mobilizing socially and, and doing protests. Even some of the protests are now even um, reaching Eritrea. I mean, mm. it's very yes. uh, you know, uh, secluded uh, country. Uh, so I think. Uh, it's quite first, it's a challenge and, and, and it would be a clash. So which one would, you know, uh, overstay, you know, this course of action will depend on, on the nature of uh, the political economy of these respective countries. Mm -hmm. yeah. but, but what's the future then of the democratic process in Africa? Because it seems as if 
elections are being held, but it is, they're just going through the, the motions. I mean, the process itself, the democratic process itself, is not really working. I is think it? the problem in Africa in terms of democratic elections is that one, you should not go to elections unless you have credible, independent, and legitimate institutions. Mm. Going to elections without first building and cultivating and generating independent institutions of governance will only lead to disaster. Mainly in the context of ethnic polarization, it will lead to violence. So first things first, these countries should first bring in or start inclusive and representative political processes aimed at creating independent, strong institutions of governance, like, you know, independent electoral commission. Yeah, well, they're also uh, secretary, to be secretary independent. Reform. No, yeah. they don't have that. <laughs> Many African countries. They're called independent. No, 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 they are not. If, if they are independent, then competing narratives and different actors should be involved in recalibrating these institutions. So you need a period of transition that transcends maybe three or four years. Yes. The danger in Africa is that you have ethnic polarization mm -hmm. and you have the politicization of you know, state institutions. There are no credible and independent institutions. Then you automatically go to elections. That will lead to disaster and violence. Kenya is one example. Ethiopia is another. So don't go there before making sure that independent institutions are in place. The same in, in South Sudan, mm -hmm. you know. Yes. Yeah, but you see, to be honest, when you look at what's going on in Africa, the political leaders come from a wealthy ruling class, and to be honest, they're just the same. Look at what happened in, in Kenya. Odinga and uh, Uhuru Kenyatta were shaking hands after all the troubles. 150 people died for the post-election. They've gone back to becoming friends. So how do the ordinary people in Africa see through these... Uh, machinations of uh, the political leadership? I think the two guys in Kenya, at least, you know, they harbor and, and mobilize and, and command a lot of support. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be ethnic, it could be political, it could be economic, so you cannot really ignore them in the sense that any kind of democratic transition, even in Kenya, requires, you know, some kind of elite compact, you know. So do we have that in Kenya? Uh, so you cannot really uh, reduce these two personalities as simply, you know, the same, the same family running, ra running Kenya. I mean, well, if you yes. look at the different narratives in Kenya mm -hmm. and, and the political economy of Kenya and the history of Kenya, the two personalities somehow command different interests if they don't arbitrate or mediate, you know, uh, you know, various interests in Kenya, that could be debatable, but at least they command, uh, you know, and represent, you know, different narratives and interests in Kenya. So the best way to start is to have some kind of, you know, roadmap for Kenya yes. by starting with them, but broadening it, including decentralization and, and, and the whole depoliticization of ethnicity in mm. Kenya. You are listening to Talking Africa on the ALC Pan-African Radio. Stay tuned. Uh, welcome back. My guest is Medani Tadese, visiting professor at King's College and the former security sector reform advisor of the African Union. But how and when do you think Africa will move forward and forget about ethnicity when it comes to 
elections, when it comes to even development, because I mean, the long and short of it is the continent of Africans, they need to develop their society, they need to develop their environment, but they're always destroying it and expecting outsiders to come and help. No, externalizing African problems uh, will not help anyway. But uh, the point is that even development in a contested state which could lead to, to violence and destruction. And the case in point could be, could be Ethiopia. So my point here is that first we have to deal with the state. For me, uh, without transforming the nature of the state, you cannot have development and democracy. You cannot have democracy without the state. You cannot have development without the state. So the competing narratives and the interests and the elite contestation should be galvanized in a, in a way that could somehow, you know, um, channel elite reconciliation and, 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 and compact in the mm -hmm. first place and broaden it, you know, uh, to the public. So the problem in Africa is that there is no agreement on the nature of the state itself because of ethnicity, because of social forces. So the state should have been an agent of social engineering to create an inclusive society, indeed, indeed. you know, and a broader exactly. you know, political project and, and, and a covenant, a political covenant. Which political done. party in Africa had created that political mm -hmm. covenant? Yes. That, that really, yes. you know, uh, represents all its constituent parts. I think that's really the crux of the matter. The elephant in the room is the nature of the state. Yeah. Actually, that's a very good point. You've made. So, so all this talk really about Agenda 2063 to make Africa perfect will not work if these basic uh, problems are not resolved. There are, uh, there is a dust to be cleared underneath. Unless we clear yes. that dust, we are not moving forward. And that is the nature of the state. And the nature of the state should be interrogated against the Westphalian and the Weberian mm -hmm. state. African states cannot be, you know, measured in relation to Western states. Yes. So we need to come back to the nature of the state and how we create the social contract, you know, in African terms. So without that externalizing even economic models, bringing in even the Chinese model will not help, you know. So as, as I have said, the African state should be first re-engineered, you know, based on a new uh, political compact and political covenant. Without that, then in order to have that necessarily don't need a liberal democracy. You only need representative and, and, and participatory political So, so uh, Agenda yeah. 2063 is not looking feasible, is it? No, even the whole issue of Africa rising is, yes. is, is facing enormous problems and, 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 and the challenges in Africa. Even the African uh, Union itself, even the African regional organizations themselves, even in the areas that they consider is a priority, even in security, mm -hmm. they don't have a command now. Look at external actors in the Horn. Look yes. at the powers in the Gulf. Look at Djibouti. In Djibouti, yes. Everywhere, Everyone is there. Everywhere, yes. everywhere. The African Union cannot command its own security terrain. Look, look at the militarization of Africa in recent years. So yes. the whole agenda of the African Union was either hijacked or, or blackmailed. So Africa does not have its own vision in place. And the instruments to implement that vision is not there. Yes, as, yeah. we, as we heard today at the Wilton Park Conference here in Abuja about the militarization of U.S.-Africa relationship. 
That's it's that. not only that, even the new powers. You, yes. you, have, you have now ex new external actors, very pernicious, very predatory, with authoritarian drift. Mm -hmm. <laughs> At least you know where the Americans or the French stand. Yeah, we understand, but yes, exactly. we don't know what the new actors. Such as the Chinese. And, 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 and the Saudis and the yes. Turkish. Mm -hmm. People think that uh, China is the main um, investor uh, of uh, foreign, I mean, in terms of foreign direct mm -hmm. investment in countries like Ethiopia, it's Turkey. Yes, you did mention yeah. Turkey because I realized they've got yeah. about 38 yeah. 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 embassies yeah. now in Africa. Yeah, it's more than that. Mm -hmm. And they have uh, a different agenda, like, like the liberal democracy of the West, they have this Muslim Brotherhood agenda, mm -hmm. you yes. know, yes. or, you know, returning back, you know, the old Ottoman Empire. Is Africa you know, ready to this challenge. I mean, they are the new powers themselves. Forget the Western powers or yes. the powers, you know. While grappling with that consequences, we are still, you know, being offered a challenge by the new uh, powers. And the African Union even doesn't have even a policy on the Red Sea, <laughs> while yes. the Red Sea is being militarized. Yes. It doesn't have even a session. The African Union Peace and Security Council have never adapted any serious roadmap on how to deal with the Red Sea in the Indian Ocean. And it's being now, uh, you know, the Gulf is engulfing the Horn, as, as I used to say years back. So, yeah. Yes, so, so what's the African Union doing then? Because it's a serious indictment of the organization itself, isn't it? Yeah, it's it not, is. It is. And, and the African Union is losing the battle. I, can, I mean, that also translates into losing the war at the end of the day. One is the challenge is that there are now disruptive forces, as I mentioned in my, yes, in, in my presentation earlier, in the sense that you have new peace and security arrangements in Africa that are not controlled or supported by the African Union, like the Ch Lake Chad and like the G. Uh, the Sahel. Sahel, imagine. Mm -hmm. and the whole security environment in Africa is changing underneath the, Af the African Union. Mm -hmm. In the sense that the African Union and the APSA was developed and formed based on the notion that five regions represent yes. five security communities. Yeah? But now, these are being somehow bypassed by new security formations mm -hmm. uh, in Africa. And this regional economic communities on which the African Union peace and security architecture is based, and the five brigades, the regional yes. five yes, brigades, yes. are becoming obsolete, simply because the threat in Africa is becoming transnational, mm -hmm. even transregional. Transnational crime groups, you know, jihadists. Mm -hmm. You cannot deal with them using the old regional formations and regional brigades. That is one. And secondly, the emergence of new powers mm -hmm. and, and their military intervention. And the African Union is still, uh, you know, talking about the standby force, which uh, yes, remains standby for forever. You know. It has been standing by forever. And uh, so, 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 which means that the, the, this Kagame's reform of the AU, how, how effective will that be? Or is it just another? Uh, process. Well, we'll see, I mean, in two areas, not interrogating the, the, 
build security environment, but in two areas. One is on the financial aspects of it. Yes. Making the African Union, you know, sustainable based on, you know, African contributions. That could minimize, you know, foreign intervention, intervention and over dependency. Yes. That is one. Yes. And the second is in the area of leadership. He's saying that we need to bring in, you know, uh, strong leadership to Africa. In those areas, there might be some positive developments, but in other areas, in terms of dealing with the, the, the regional environment, the continental security environment, and the new global mm -hmm. uh, security environment, I think a lot of things remains to be done. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's a good point you make about the global security environment. Uh, African countries, up to the, uh, the challenge that this is presenting, or they're just following the trend, they are not even following the trend <laughs> cleverly. I mean, that's the problem. I'm, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not a pessimist. I mm -hmm. had, uh, you know, hope that the African Union could yes. translate into mm -hmm. effective institutional response to Africa's problems, and they are not yet there. They are mm -hmm. not yet. There is no strong leadership. Mm -hmm. And even some of the powers that have been, you know, very instrumental in revitalizing the African Union, and, and, and creating the constitutive act, like South Africa, yes. they are retreating. Mm -hmm. yes. They are only ha developing a mercantilist foreign policy in terms of trade all over Africa, yes. but they are retreating in terms of the political leadership to the sub-region, yes. to SADC. Mm -hmm. So that, there is a vacuum now emerging in Africa at the same time when external players are coming yes. in, in large numbers. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Medani Tedesi, visiting professor of King's College, London, and a former security sector reform advisor to the African Union. Thank you very much. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening to Talking Africa and ALC Pan-African Radio. For these and other programs, please visit our website at alcpanafricanradio.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Radio ALC and on Facebook at African Leadership Center. For feedback on this and other programs, please send an email to info at africanradio.com.